you would please turn in your Bibles to 1st John. 1st John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. <clears throat> Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Would you pray with me, please? Father, how often our hearts are prone to wander that we are prone to leave you, the God we love. Father, I pray that you today would open our eyes to see glorious things from your law, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts so that we may hear what we need to hear this morning. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. How many of you like to take tests? How many of you miss the days being in high school or college where you had your Quizlet, your flashcards, you were studying all night, drinking coffee to the ungodly hours of the morning to prepare for the test the next day? Or for my students at Rowan, perhaps you are currently thinking of that test next week that you have rather than being here present, listening to God's word. The test anxiety is already kicking in. You're dreading the day of doom that is quickly approaching you. Most of us here, I would imagine, do not like to take tests. We do not like the pop quizzes. We do not like the examination that goes on in our education. You're glad you're out of school. For the students, you will be glad one day when you graduate. You do not need to worry about all these exams that are continually piling upon you. You don't need to be thinking about Scantrons, Blue Book essays, all the different things that the professors are hurling upon you. Today we are continuing our series in 1 John, where the Apostle John has opened up his epistle, telling us that eternal life has been made manifest before our eyes. And because of this, we actually 
have the opportunity to have fellowship, not only with God, but with each other. That we have the great privilege of our joy being complete in the gospel itself. And last week, we heard the lofty claim that God is light. There is no darkness at all in him. But as a result of last week's sermon, we are now called to examine ourselves. There is this implied, therefore, of what follows from verse 5. In fact, we are given a series of tests for ourselves, a series of quizzes to ask ourselves this morning that if God is light, what does that mean for my life today? And if there is one question to be asking yourself, as you were listening to God's word this morning, this is the question to ask. If God is light, does my life reflect his light or my darkness? Again, the question to ask ourselves from this sermon this morning is that if God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him, Does my life reflect his light or my darkness? Because look again briefly at what we spoke last week. Look at verse 5, that lofty claim, as we said, we are entering into the lecture halls of the Apostle John himself, who says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. He is presented to us in uncompromised purity. There is no mixture of corruption, of dilution, or compromise. But actually, we probably are asking ourselves that if God is light, what does it mean for God to be that absolute purity? What does it mean for the Apostle John to be claiming God is light. Well, I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, where we have a very similar theme, where Paul himself is bringing out that same contrast of light and darkness. And what does it mean for God to be light? Well, according to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8, we are presented with what the gospel has done for us. That at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And Paul goes on to tell us exactly what does it mean for us to be children of the light. That the fruit of of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That God is presented to us back in our text in 1 John chapter chapter 1 as one who is the fountainhead of all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth. We so often use that word good. We had a good day. I did well 
on my exam. I have good friends. Philosophers have often debated what is the end, the chief and highest good for society, for ourselves as human beings. And yet, according to the Christian worldview, God himself is presented as that highest good, the very standard in which goodness is defined. Not only is the fruit of God being light, that he is the fountainhead of all goodness, but Paul told us that it is the fountainhead of all righteousness, of right and wrong, the standard in which we can declare something to be just and unjust is because we have a supreme moral lawgiver. He is the litmus test of truth itself. Where everything finds its yes and amen in God's word, in what God has declared to be true. That again, verse 5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. But if God is light, and that means that he is our standard of goodness, of righteousness, and of truth, how do we measure up to that light? And does my life reflect his light, his goodness, his righteousness, and his truth? Or does it reflect my own sinful heart today? If God is light, does my life reflect his light or my own darkness? Well, look again. Look at our text. And what John follows up this claim is a question. In fact, we are entered into the exam. Begin to answer these exam questions. In verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In fact, at this point, many students of Scripture have asked, when Paul is asking these exam questions, when he is presenting these hypothetical situations, are these questions that Christians in the church have been saying? Or are these the false teachers outside that we're going to hear about later in our epistle? Well, regardless whether it is false teachers or Christians that are misunderstanding the nature of their Christian life, verse 6 is something that is actually a mitigated exhortation. And what I mean by that is there is this implied command in verse 6. Do not claim to have fellowship with God when your life is walking in darkness. Think of the time that you have told your children that the stove is hot. And implied within that is do not touch the countertop. When you tell your friends that 322 is busy, you're assuming that they know not to go running into the street at that point. John is not just giving us hypothetical situations, but implied commands here. In fact, 
in verse 6, darkness is emphasized in the original language to point to us how ridiculous of a claim it is for Christians to say, I have fellowship with God while my life is characterized by darkness. I believe that God is light, that there is no darkness in him. I believe that Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh, and I can have fellowship with him. But my whole life and worldview in which I live does not reflect him whatsoever. I can attend church faithfully Sunday morning say amen to all the amazing truths of the gospel, of what Jesus has done on the cross for me. Then I can go home and verbally abuse my spouse. I can study the Bible, memorize whole books that God has given to us. I spend my free time and my hobbies reading John Calvin, Herman Bavinck, memorizing the Shorter Catechism of our confessional standard while I'm cheating in my classes. I am the greatest spiritual warrior. I can pray prayers that move mountains. God is at work in all the things that I pray for right after I spend some time looking at pornography. I'm the greatest evangelist to my friends. I am able to go to work and share the gospel with all those I know. And I do such a better job when I'm getting drunk with them. Today, do not claim to be fellowshipping with God when your lifestyle is characterized by darkness. Do not claim that your life is reflecting the gospel itself when your entire life is living contrary to what Jesus Christ has done. And the challenge here, the question we are probably naturally asking at this point is, Jonathan, I know I'm a sinner. I daily break God's commands in thought, word, and deed, as our confession tells us. And we should all give a hearty amen to that. That there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation or to earn your standing before God. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our union with him is absolutely secure. And there is no level of obedience you can do to merit God's favor in in his presence. But what John is challenging us here today is not your eternal security and salvation before God himself and trying to work your way up to please him, but rather that communion and walk that we have with God himself. That we are living in daily, habitual, unrepented, and uncared for sin in our lives. 
holding on to the idols of our hearts that we generically claim that we are sinners and yet purposely do not bring particular sins to God, hold them in our lives, idolize them, and cherish them in our hearts. That today, when we are doing this, John is telling us that we are completely missing what the gospel is doing for us, that we have been justified, declared righteous in God's sight. And as a response to that, we now have fellowship where we begin to follow that God of light who is the absolute perfection of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And for us today that are living the life of a hypocrite, that are claiming to have fellowship with God and yet our entire life is characterized by darkness. We should not let these extreme illustrations and example of sin deflect from our own life. We should be asking ourselves, in what way today have I been claiming to have this fellowship with the God of light while ignoring the darkness that is within my own heart? Does my life reflect his light or my own darkness? Well, that's our first exam question. Let's move on to the next exam question that the Apostle John gives us in his letter. Look at verse 8. That if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us we are moving from hypocrisy of claiming truths for the gospel and not letting the gospel sink to our hearts. Now we are moving to the duplicity of ourselves. The same implied command is here to not claim that we have no sin, lest we forget verse 6 and begin to think that this is a call for perfection. But the Apostle John wants us to be honest with our own situation. And I would hazard to guess most of the people sitting here do not struggle with calling themselves sinners. That most of us here are able to understand that we mess up a lot. That we are failures, that we make mistakes, that to use the Bible's own language, we are sinners. We call ourselves broken. We realize we are not perfect. And we generically call ourselves sinners. But when the rubber meets the road, we do not let and allow God to search and examine our own hearts of what that looks like today for us not to be deceived, but to understand the particular ways in which we have sinned against God, we try to justify our behavior that this is just the way God has made me. This is just my personality. It doesn't matter if I offend a couple people along the way. That we compare ourselves to other people. We begin to say, well, 
The only reason I had to stay up late all night is because of how lazy and unhelpful the other students were in our group project. We minimize our sin. I know that we're all sinners, Jonathan, but you're really going to go after that one petty thought that I had last week. Yet when we compare ourselves again to verse 5, the God of light who is the fountainhead of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, does my life reflect his light or my darkness? When you got married or you were preparing to get married or for some that are about to get married, you begin to go ring shopping and you enter into the jeweler and they're trying to upsell you the nicest diamond rings in the world. And if you did not know this, one of the salesman marketing techniques they do is they take the diamond and put it on top of black velvet that causes all the light to refract in all of the most beautiful ways to accentuate the beauty the light that is coming from this diamond. And yet, when we compare our own good works, our own life to God, that our sin and the sin we see in this world is nothing but accentuating the absolute perfection of this God of light who is the fountainhead of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In fact, this exam is clear that we are not deceiving God by pretending we have no sin. We are actually deceiving ourselves, according to verse 8. That you can downplay, you can minimize, justify, or compare your behavior to other people in this world. <laughs> Yet verse 8 tells us that it is ourselves that we are deceiving of how desperate our situation is if god is light does my life reflect his light or my darkness how are we doing on the exam today how are you answering these questions for yourself because we have looked at verse six and our own hypocritical heart we looked at verse 8 and the duplicity that we bring ourselves to but now come to the final exam question in verse 10 where the apostle john brings the most audacious claim that can be imagined that if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his truth is not in us. It's not just a denial to look at our own hearts, maybe acknowledge generically that we're a sinner, but it's the denial that we have done anything wrong in God's sight to begin with. That Ray Comfort is coming to us on the street, walking us through the Ten Commandments, telling us that we are the lying, adulterous, 
idolatrous sinner in God's sight, and we deny to even acknowledge that we have done a single thing wrong in his sight. We play coy. We act as if God is not going to truly judge us for those white, small, little sins. We pretend as if we are honestly, compared to most people, I'm a pretty good person, and I think I can give a defense before God one day. It's not just a denial to admit the obvious that we are not perfect, but it's a belief that our mistakes are really not that big of a deal in God's sight. And we're going to somehow be able to stand before him and have a righteous declaration that we are a good person and can stand in the God of light who is the fountainhead of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. What's the result of claiming that we have not sinned? Well, look at verse 10. It's not just that we deceive ourselves. It's not just that we lie and are not practicing the truth, but this is why it is so audacious of a claim, is we are calling God himself a liar. And his word is not in us. In fact, for many of us, if you have ever spoken to other people about the gospel. Perhaps this has been something you have struggled with about the gospel yourself, is you don't really think you're that bad of a person. God is going to really judge my behavior based on those small, innocent sins that I have done, those mistakes and those failures. God, in fact, Why is it even that God is able to be the supreme judge? Why is it that he is the fountainhead of all goodness, righteousness, and truth? In fact, for most of society today, we tend to treat God as this cosmic killjoy. He's up in heaven. He is proctoring this exam. He is waiting for us to fail so then he can judge us and punish us for how bad of a person I truly am. We actually have the image of T.J. Eckelberg from The Great Gatsby in chapter 2, where they are driving through the Valley of Ash and they see the billboard of this optometrist, but really it is his eyes brooding over society, implying the judgment of God himself on the corruption of American society and its moral bankruptcy. That we just see God as this person who judges us from afar, waiting for us to fail these exams. So we storm out. We call God himself a liar. And we ultimately do not even have the truth of the gospel itself. Does my life reflect God's life or my darkness? For many in this room, this passage has probably unsettled you. It has made you uncomfortable. 
it has made us look at the darkness that we tend to ignore, that we take off and we do not want to look at within our own hearts. We hold on to our hypocrisy, our duplicity, the audacity where we will even make God himself a liar. And yet, 1 John, as a result of that great truth that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him, we must be confronted with the reality of what does that mean for the darkness that is in my own heart this morning. But lest you are tempted to feel as if I have completely flunked this exam, that there is no way I would ever measure up to the standard of what God is calling me to. God has actually given us hope for the most hypocritical, duplicitous, and audacious of sinner this morning. Because what was our encouragement in our liturgy was actually from our text in verse 9. And I would encourage you to actually look at it for yourself. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, your life may be a reflection of the darkness that you like to ignore, the darkness that you hold within your own heart. You live a life of a hypocrite where you can present a facade to Mercy Hill, to the other Christians that you see around you, at Rowan, in your work, or wherever it is in your life. You live a life of deceit where you are completely self-deluded in your position before God himself. You have reached a point where you are so audacious that you are denying the gospel itself and making God, who is the fountainhead of truth, a liar. The gospel calls every single one of us this morning not to minimize, to justify, or to compare our situation but it actually calls us to lay all of these sins at the feet of that God of light who scripture tells us is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is not arbitrary and judgmental. He is not that God of the great Gatsby off afar judging us and punishing us without a connection to us. He is the God of light that, according to his own character, is faithful and just to take these sins, even the sins that we want to ignore, and cleanse us from the unrighteousness that resides within our own dark heart. And for all of us today that are struggling with all of these duplicitous, hypocritical, and audacious sins, the sins that we are not comfortable sharing with other Christians, the sins that we like to keep to ourselves, keep behind closed doors. 
This is not a promise that God cleans you up when you first believe. This is a promise of the person and work of Jesus Christ himself, who is eternal life, that God of light, who became flesh. He lived the life that you could not live. He died the sacrificial death that we deserve because of our darkness. And according to verse 7, tells us that he has not cleansed us from our past sins, but is presently cleansing us from all, every single one of our sins. If you want a point for what 1 John is calling us today, here it is, that because of the God of light has become flesh, we are to give all our sins to him who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That this God of light has actually called us into fellowship with him where we can be the most honest and authentic before him with every single one of these sins. And as a result of this fellowship with God, we actually have the opportunity to walk alongside this God of light who came and dwelt among us. So in light of the gospel, in light of what 1 John chapter 1 is giving us this morning, here are the challenges that the tests that we just examined ourselves. Here are the challenges that we are to take away with for ourselves. For those this morning that are seeking to follow the God of light, that are seeking to be followers of Christ Jesus, seek to follow Christ in the light, not in the darkness. Because as a result of this gracious light, as a result of the cleansing power of Jesus Christ, who is presently cleansing us from all our sins, both in the past, in the present, and in the future, the gospel itself, the sheer magnitude of God's gracious favor upon us should be reflected in our lifestyle. It's not a call to perfectionism where we are never messing up, where we are never sinning, as we clearly heard. It's not calling us that we are going to have the righteous life that perfectly reflects that God of light. But it is saying that for those who have claimed to experience this grace, our life, even in our failings and our sins, in our mistakes, should reflect the gospel that brings light into our lives. It calls us out of a life of duplicity where we feel as if we need to be hiding, to be putting on this face before other Christians and presenting us as if we have our act together and the second we go home, we cherish and hold on to those sins in our heart. But it actually calls us to freely confess them, to lay them at God's feet who we know is the God who is faithful and just for the most heinous of, and wicked of sins to cleanse us from it. 
And as we are growing in this walk and continuing to have God search and examine our own hearts, we begin to reflect more and more of that God of light in our life and in our walk. Second, if our desire is to have fellowship with God and be followers of the God of light, you must also desire to have fellowship with one another. Because what did it say in verse 7? That as we are walking in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. One of the results of walking in the light is actually the relationship we have with each other. And for us, who have been holding on to these heinous, wicked sins behind closed doors, for us who have sinned against our neighbors in the church, for us who have sinned against other people, it's actually an invitation that as we are confessing to this God of light, we are seeking to confess to our fellow brothers and sisters, as James chapter 5 tells us. We are seeking not only to be reconciled with God, but to reconcile ourselves with those people that we have sinned against. Healing the fractured relationships that have caused us to isolate ourselves from the body of Christ. Don't be content today with simply, privately confessing your sins to the God of light but be seeking to be reflecting this same relationship with the fellowship you have with each other. And finally, in closing, even for the most audacious, hypocritical, and duplicitous of Christian in this room, 1 John is calling you to give every single one of your sins to the faithful and just God. That no matter how far you have been living in hypocrisy, no matter how long you have been living a lie today, pretending and putting on this facade beyond other Christians, maybe you have not even believed yourself to need to be cleansed for sins that you don't even think you have been committed. The remedy for every one of us and the challenge for us today is to Go to this God with our unrighteousness and to go to the God who it would actually be unfaithful and unjust for him to ignore our confession, but to bring them to the very God of light who is calling the most self-deluded of sinners in this room today to freely offer them to the one who has sacrificed his life for sins, so that even in your dark hearts, your life can finally begin to reflect that God of light and walk in his light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the free invitation you have given us not to minimize our situation, not to pretend as if we have our life together, 
but to freely confess them to you who is the faithful and just God, who does not just cares about the generic sins we talk about, but the particular sins we are particularly and discreetly doing every single morning. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was made flesh and has offered us eternal life in fellowship with him so that even in our duplicity, when we have come to him, we can finally have true joy and fellowship with you and with the body of Christ. We pray this in your son's holy name. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the church house located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.